Welcome to Right Spokane Perspective with your host, Tim. And Shannon. It's opinion, fact, information, and your alert system. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. And welcome back to Right Spokane Perspective on this Monday episode. It's realities of criminal justice that we'll be talking about. It's true crime and the actual penalties. We'll be talking about all those aspects that we care so much about in keeping our community safe with Sheriff John Knowles in studio with us today. And we'll jump in after inspiration. Inspiration today is going to be talking about all of our dealings. Our scripture is 2 Corinthians 1, 12 through 16. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves with integrity and godly sincerity. In 1524, Martin Luther observed, Among themselves, the merchants have a common rule, which is their chief maxim. I care nothing about my neighbor, so long as I have my profit and satisfy my greed. More than 200 years later, John Woolman from Mount Holy, New Jersey, let his commitment to Jesus influence his tailor shop dealings. Out of support for freeing the slaves, he refused to purchase any cotton or dye supplies from companies that used forced labor. With a clear conscience, he loved his neighbor and lived accordingly to integrity and sincerity in all his dealings. The Apostle Paul strived to live out integrity and godly sincerity, When some in Corinth tried to undermine his authority as an apostle for Jesus, he defended his conduct among them. He wrote that his words and actions would withstand the closest scrutiny. He also showed that he was dependent on God's power and grace for effectiveness, not his own. In short, Paul's faith in Christ permeated in all his dealings. As we live as ambassadors for Jesus, we need to be careful to let the good news ring out in all of our dealings, family, business, and more. When by God's power and grace we reveal his love to others, we honor him and love our neighbors well. Heavenly Father, help us to serve others with with such a clear conscience that our love for them is completely evident. In Jesus' name, amen. A clear conscience, that's kind of an interesting way to start the show because a lot of people wonder, like with forced labor and uh, the use of tax dollars when you look at the corporate interests and forced labor and stuff made overseas that we buy here. And then we look at how government operates and, and is it with a clear conscience? Well, if you look at the legislature, if you look at certain governing entities, how they use our tax dollars, you have to pronounce it the way it's spelled. It's called conscience. That's how they con you. It's conscience. They don't have a conscience, but some in government still have a conscience and some of them are elected. Uh, Some that are elected don't seem to have that same conscience because they misrepresent the truth. But we're going to be looking at the truth today from Sheriff John Knowles. We want to talk about the realities of the criminal justice system and uh, true crime and the penalties. We wonder why we have uh, 15 time felons out there uh, creating new victims in our uh, community. And he's going to be telling us a little bit about that. We also have a ballot initiative or I I guess it's a ballot measure where we're going to be voting on whether we create more room in the inn talking about the jail and uh, that'll be on the ballot this November first Tuesday of November that's your time to vote and uh, ask government to use your money for a specific purpose so I'm going to welcome Sheriff John Knowles to the conversation thanks for coming in today Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's a this is a great topic we get to talk about today. Yes. So the conscience thing, we were talking to, before we went on the air about how our criminal justice dollars are used and spent and how that money's kind of get 
got moved around and that made me think about conscience or conscience uh, of our state legislature and how they're trying to tell us they're reducing the their budgetary things for jailing and criminal justice and and we just see the crime rates going up you know pretty astronomically here in the last uh five ten years Right, and, and people uh, are probably aware, some are not. The Washington Association of Sheriffs and Chiefs of Police uh, this year released their 2022 crime report on for crime statistics for the state of Washington. And across the board in the state, we have seen the highest violent crime rates and highest homicides that we've seen uh, since uh, we started keeping those statistics back in the early 80s. And that, that trumps the 90s, which is... We had a really bad crime problem in this country, I think it was early 90s, which is right. why the voters in, I think it was like 1996, 1998 said, we want a three strikes, you're out, we're tired of these criminals victimizing our community. Correct. You know, it, it led to the crime bill and on a federal level, it led to them starting the war on drugs, um, you know, just because the crime rates and the violent crime rates specifically were getting so high and we're experiencing the same thing now and largely i would argue for a lot of the same reasons uh, you know we have a a significant fentanyl crisis in this entire country particularly in this community i believe that our society has uh, taken a more of a laissez-faire approach to drug use in general um, and it is fueling our homeless problem it's fueling our violent crime problems and and it's time to start taking a stand against it. And well, that was the problem back in the '90s, though. We we knew that there back then it wasn't fentanyl; it was meth. Mm-hmm. And we knew that there was a problem, and we knew that that problem was tied to the drug use. And we had the war on drugs. They said, "Oh, the war on drugs didn't work." Well, I'm kind of looking at the numbers. Look, I think it kind of kept things at bay a little bit. Well, we again, there's some deception when they say that the war on drugs didn't work. Because we did slow the tide, but we also didn't take some of the actions that we as a nation should have to really address the problem. We, we played games, almost like the Vietnam War. We went over, we fought, but we didn't fight in a way that was going to help us win. Politics got in the way and stopped our men and women from doing the things they should have done. We or we should have decided to have left in the first place. We didn't fight a war to win. We we decided it was political, and so we just kind of occupied. Right, and I would and I would suggest, in my humble opinion, that we've done much of the same thing with with the war on drugs. And the reason I I bring this up is I've I've been in law enforcement since 1998. I worked as an undercover narcotics detective for four years. Oh, so you stepped in right about the three strikes you're out law in Washington State. Correct. And and at the time, methamphetamine labs were our biggest threat. And the reason I'm telling this this story and talking about this because back in the early 2000s, so this would be 2004 to 2008, the state, the legislature, had, had reformed some of the sentencing guidelines for drug possession, drug use, um, in response to some of the pushback from, you know, the war on drugs. And I knew that as I was buying um, methamphetamine from dealers on the street, that they were in, in controlled buys. In controlled buys. And some and undercover buys. Sometimes I was buying it from them. And I knew that they were not going to be held accountable in the state of Washington in any significant way for just selling drugs. I always wanted to 
to when we receive a search warrant on their house, maybe find some stolen property, catch them with a stolen car or something like that because there was a victim in the state still had some pretty decent sentencing oh, guidelines yes. for people when there was a victim involved. The victim, because drug use, drug... It's a victimless crime. It's victimless. I remember that whole scenario. Oh, yeah, it's victimless when they steal all the copper out of your, uh, you know, your house because they break in while you're on vacation or something. Uh, now you're a victim, but really the crime was caused by a methamphetamine addiction, and that's why they broke in and stole all the copper out of your house. Correct. We we all know that anybody who has who has lived with someone who is addicted to drugs um, knows that there are volumes of crimes, most unreported, that they victimize people. They have to fuel the drug habit. But but what I want to point out about this is where where this becomes important in today's narrative is that over the next now almost 20 years with the Sentencing Reform Act. I uh, kind of jokingly refer to it as the Sentencing Reduction Act. Uh, in the state of Washington, our legislature, um, you know, through an appointed sentencing board, has systematically reduced standard sentencing ranges for a myriad of crimes to include some violent and sexual assaults over the last 20 years to where there's almost no accountability left except for the most habitual and chronic offenders. And even then, um, it's it's very disappointing. Well, the, but the criminals know this. And I remember about a decade ago, the criminals really were, were on top of this. They said, okay, look, if you're going to rob somebody, you're going to do this. Don't do it with a gun. Don't do it with a, a, a lethal object. And you can probably just walk out of jail the next day because... Even though the dollar amount's there, the victim's still there, you just don't want to add to your, your crime because what we had the three strikes you're outlaw and then the legislature systematically, like you said, over a period of time, took things off the list that were in those felonies to where you'd actually see some significant jail time for creating all these victims, which is why folks are frustrated when they see, you know, 17 time felon with 45 misdemeanors arrested again. And, and it's frustrating, but that's not something our, our local sheriff's department, other than asking the state to change the laws has anything to do with. Right. So that's the, it's the state legislature and this commission that's doing this. Isn't there the, uh, a move in the commission right now to, you have a, a sex offender list at the sheriff's website, right? Correct. Isn't there a move to reduce the people that have to be on that sex offender list? There absolutely is. There is a a movement in the state right now where they have people who say they have research that shows making sex offenders not register anymore actually improves their outcomes. Now, I would challenge that research because well, I think... Well, if people would quit reporting crimes, crime rates would go down too. I, th I agree, and you're exa <laughs> thinking exactly along the lines I am. Um, the, the fact of the matter is I never thought that there would be a group of people who were um, supporting and um, advocating for sex offenders to be, to be treated um, better than their victims. But but it exists now, and some of them are making policy decisions, and it's and I don't understand it. And and this drives our violent crime. We have seen over and over, and you referred to it earlier, where we now have people who are who are being arrested. Our judges are seeing them at first appearance, and they have 15, 16, 18 felony convictions. And the reality of it is, if they have 15, 16, 17 convictions, they have dozens more 
arrest. Lots so, of arrests. Well, then, and did they get arrested every time they committed a crime? I mean, that, so if they're in a criminal element, if they have, make a, a lifestyle out of criminal activity, make a living that way, maybe it, their arrests don't really show how many victims there are out there because they're in a life of crime. They get caught from time to time, but how many victims are there actually out there? So we look at the state level. Okay, drugs is not, uh, it's a victimless crime, except, wait a minute, it's not a victim. We had 110,000 people die in the United States from fentanyl overdoses. We have hundreds die in Spokane alone every year. Every year. Hundreds die. Well, and, and hundreds would die if they didn't get medical attention immediately on a very frequent basis. Oh, yeah, we would have quadruple the number of deaths easily if we didn't have narcan it, it would be far more devastating than it is and and i will say it, it's Forget affecting it. so many different uh conclaves of our community one statistic that's very compelling to me and it talks about our homeless community there's so much conversation going on about the homeless and and camp hope and how do we treat these these folks appropriately and what are really the underlying causes and we just need to buy them homes but i think there's a statistic that i, I think is very compelling to me about what's causing our problems last year the medical examiner's office in spokane county produces a report about Spokane's overall health. One of the communities that they track is this people who are experiencing homelessness. Last year in, in the county of Spokane, the medical examiner's office has recorded three people who died of exposure to the elements. Three is all. Tragic that those three folks did right. lose their lives. 63 died from an overdose. 63 died from an overdose. Well, and, so and why was there exposure? More than 20 times. Why did they die of exposure? Did that have to do with exposure because of their lifestyle choice because of addiction? I mean, if, if you wrote the underlying cause, it would be the same scenario. It's fentanyl, heroin, addiction. So the point the point is, is why, why are we not having honest conversations about what is affecting our homeless population? Because... It, it was 20 times more likely that they were going to die from a drug overdose than they were of exposure. We saw the behavior at Camp Hope. You can't convince me that it wasn't fueled by an absolute drug well, press, addiction the press, issue. The press calls it Camp Hope. We've always called it on this show Camp Dope. And the vast majority of the people that live in the city of Spokane that have their eyes open to reality, we know it's not a homeless problem it is a transient drug addiction problem, but we're going to talk about the truth in crime and not the conscience of the legislature. True crime and penalties. We got to jump into that part of the conversation with Sheriff John Knowles. I know that our uh, state legislature, some of them I know have a conscience. I think the other ones have a conscience, the way it's spelled, right? And that's because they want to transfer the liability of criminal activities onto local residents not just through the cost of a new jail that's going to be on the ballot this uh, November, but also the cost of the victimization of these folks that are not ending up in state prisons for multiple-time felony convictions. So tell us a little bit about that transfer of, of you know, liability to the local level. So 
as we were discussing earlier, as the standard sentencing ranges for many of these crimes are reduced, the, the public has to understand that when you see a, a felony crime, a, you know, a class A, class B, class C, and you see the RCW states, well, it's punishable up to five years for a class C felony, um, up to 10 years for a class B or 15 years, and then 15 years to 25 years or life for class A. They assume that that's the penalty when someone is convicted of that. And the reality of it is the legislature sets the guidelines for what that actually ends up being. You know, to give an example, and, and again, this is nothing specific, but just an example. If if you're convicted of a Class C felony, which is say a fraud up to a certain dollar amount, it's punishable up to five years in prison. But the reality of it is, is if it's your first offense, you'll be lucky if you're sentenced to more than 90 days. So the difference here is that, so most people think these Class CBA felonies, pretty serious crimes to some, uh, to some extent, depending on, on what you're looking at here. Most people think, oh, this person is going to end up in jail for more than a year. So anything 365 days or more, that is a state prison obligation. That's where they are incarcerated. If it's less than a year, they're incarcerated at the county jail. So these serious felony convictions that are obviously the public season 13 time convicted felon they're not spending state side prison time they're housed in our local county jail they're housed in our local county jail and as this as these sentencing guidelines are changed and they're reduced they're almost never i'm unaware of a time where the sentence was bumped up from where it was currently sitting um, the burden is passed on to the county jail which is part of the reason we're seeing our population issue in the Spokane County Jail right now, necessitating the county to put a two-tenths of a percent measure on the ballot to fund a new criminal justice center and, and to honestly help fund some programming that will help ease the burden on the jail and, uh, and maybe allow people to... Um, you know, have a chance of getting clean, maybe dealing with part of this addiction issue while they're in the system. So I, not just incarceration, some rehabilitation. We, we have to. Now, and, so our state legislators, those guys that actually decide the state budget and the sentencing guidelines, they're parading around the success of, well, they're emptying out McNeil Island, the sex offenders that are moving all over the state. They're uh, reducing the state budget on our state prisons. So I'm... I don't see that they're reducing it. They're just shifting it to the local level. I mean, what, what about the hat, the hatchet man? Was it hatchet? Machete man. What about the machete man? So we, you see a crime like this in the newspaper or on TV, and you're like, holy cow, this guy's going to the big house. Right. So, and again, we were talking about this before the this, this show. I was aware of a case last year. Uh, it was during the campaign. There, there was a, a man who was new to the United States, um, he assaulted um, some men who were leaving a marijuana shop out in the Spokane Valley with a machete. Serious assault, felony assault. And that was, I believe, in March of 2022. So assault with a machete, that wasn't just that he put fear in their minds because he had right. a machete. He actually he injured people. He hit them with the machete. He, he injured people. So pleads guilty, and you would think... Even though, even though it was a first-time offender, this is a fairly, this is a serious assault. These are, this is a dangerous, possibly person. lethal attack. Right. It, this is a dangerous person. Had served his sentence and was out of custody when he attacked another group of people with a knife at a wedding out at the El Khatif Shriners building out west by August okay. of the same year. So of the five same months. Year. So five months. Five months. So machete attacker, uh, lethal weapon. 
you would think this is, you know, a felony charge that's going to people 10, five 15 years. years. 10, 15 years. Maybe, maybe. It's a class I mean, A felony. But you're thinking state prison, right? You're you're thinking this person's going to end up in Walla Walla or, you know, some state prison, right? Yep. Well, wait a minute. That didn't happen. Instead, he spent his time in county jail for the five months because he never saw a conviction that would have taken him to state prisons. So the state, our state legislators here, that when we talk to them, especially here in, in the city of Spokane, they're transferring the state budget liability in the state prisons to us. So we have to pass this measure to build a jail because the state is not incarcerating these people because they're reducing their liability by reducing the sentencing. Right. And they're very, very proud that they have reduced their prison bed numbers and that they're saving the taxpayers money. And the reality of it is they're closing prisons and they're dumping violent criminals out onto the street. That's, that's the reality of it, and they're doing it in ways that are not obvious to the public, and it's time for us to stop. That's what we have to educate the public and let them know that, that our communities are not safe today, not because the police aren't doing their jobs. We're doing our jobs. We're arresting people. The prosecutor's doing his job. He's prosecuting people. The courts and the judges are doing their job even. We, I will not lay this at the judge at the judge's feet because they have to operate within the sentencing guidelines that the state gives them. This is, this is a legislative issue. This is something that the public has to ask really hard questions of our legislature and our governor and say, why are you putting these dangerous people back out on the street? And when they say, oh, we're not putting dangerous people back out on the street, there are so many examples like the, the one I just gave you that shows that, yes, they are putting dangerous people back out on the street. And this is why we see people being arrested for committing serious crimes and they're 13, 14, 18-time convicted felons. And what I will tell you is, over time, when somebody is committing low-level property crimes, drug crimes, and the least, if they're not held accountable, eventually they commit a violent crime. And I know we have probably 60 to 70 examples of people in Spokane County alone that we showed that they were not held accountable in a significant way for committing property crimes, and eventually they committed a violent crime in our community, and they should have been in prison. They shouldn't have been. They should have never had the the opportunity. Yeah. Well, then I think that this is pretty obvious. People get engaged in criminal activity. You know, it used to be you drove five miles an hour over the speed limit. You know, I mean, you're not supposed to say that to an officer. You're supposed to say, "I drive exactly the speed limit." Come on, honestly, the officers don't even drive the speed limit anymore. They'd be impeding traffic. I mean, we used to do five over. Everyone does fifteen over now because we don't have the traffic police in the city of Spokane. I can't blame the sheriff's department for that, but we just don't have traffic police anymore. So. Yeah, it's kind of like the broken windows theory. I know people, maybe that sounds like a broken record, but if you don't have penalties for certain behaviors, you get more of it. Well, and and, and I agree. And I can give you another example of just exactly what you're talking about. And I know it's going to touch the pursuit legislation, but this is an example of how ridiculous this is. I was in traffic the other day. I was in my, my work car. I was in uniform and I was coming up division from uh, Riverside. I was headed south, headed towards I-90. And uh, when I was waiting in traffic, I could hear um, something hit the, the, uh, concrete median uh, off to my left. And I looked out back and I saw a a uh, McDonald's bag that the car behind me had just thrown out. 
I could hear it hit. I knew exactly what it was. And I could see the two people in the vehicle behind me. So as the light changed and we kind of went around that S curve and started to head south on division from Riverside, um, I pulled over into an open parking spot as the car went by me. I pulled in right behind him, hit my lights. Truck took off. The truck just took off? Took off. Heavy traffic. Didn't stop. Didn't Knew we didn't have to stop. Knew we didn't have to stop. Nothing I can do and, about it. And it was just going to be a... Not a, a thing I could do it, about it. It was probably just going to be a warning, hey, go pick up your garbage instead of littering. Right. Because that, that used to be a thing, littering. Now it's just, oh, no, we just need to adopt a highway or something. We all get to stand on the side of a busy freeway where people are on drugs and their cell phones and pick up trash. Yep. Because we don't penalize people and, for... And here littering. I am, the sheriff... And I have to watch that car drive away full well knowing without violating the law, I cannot do anything about that person taking off. Well, and the sad thing is that he probably didn't need to be arrested for the McDonald's bag getting thrown out. That might be too severe. But the reality is he might have ran because he might be a drug dealer and he might have, you know, open warrants and just didn't have to pull over for you. Yep. And we'll never know. And, and the reason I bring that up is much to your point. People are not held accountable for violating the law. I love our country. This is a country built on laws. We are a constitutional republic. Laws matter. And and what is happening at the state legislature right now is systematically eroding the basis of our society. They, they are saying, you know what? You don't have to follow the rules because, well, we don't want to. I, I believe they don't want to pay for it. But yet we have billions of dollars of surplus in the state of Washington right now. Uh, well, 2003, we had a state budget of, I think, uh, $23 billion. Uh, this last year, our state budget was $70 billion. So I think that they can afford to incarcerate criminals. But we fund all sorts of just crazy nonsense in this state. Of course, in the, in the country, pet, not just pet projects, but things that don't work. I mean, look at what we did with the homeless industrial complex with tens of millions of dollars and didn't solve it. By the way, Seattle just shut down their homeless programs because they didn't work. They spent all the money and the problem's just as big. So we got to start being smarter. Oh, by the way, uh, we've said it before on this show. And I know that I have someone in the studio that could probably tell us the math on it. But I think that the people that are addicted to drugs, they're committing crimes on our streets that are illegally camping, it would be cheaper to house them in a jail cell than in the homeless industrial complex. But I won't make you comment on that. So we've got to be smarter about how we spend our resources. And I think that we paid for a tax for the STA. That's the same tax we're looking at to build a, a local jail here. And with the conscience of the legislature, we have to have a conscience at the local level for the victims that continually are created because people are not housed in jail. I think the, the mandatory minimums and things like that, the legislature needs to change. But I, are we making decisions at the jail of capacity and having to release people because we just don't have room? Absolutely are. 17% of the people that law enforcement books in that jail leave the jail without ever seeing a judge. Many of them are out at the door about the same time or shortly after the officers are who drop them off. Fully 17%. I think it's important for the public to understand in my entire 20, now going on 26 years in Spokane County, we have never booked anybody for misdemeanors except for uh, domestic violence, misdemeanors and gross misdemeanors and DUIs. Outside of that, it was only felonies. And we're we're, and we're still to the point releasing now, them. Well, right now we right don't even the book them, and, and and think about it. Now 
possession of a controlled substance is no longer a felony. It's a gross misdemeanor. So even with that, and, and it wasn't even a crime for the last two years that we could book people for. But crime rates are still going up. So, so that, it is, well... I would we, I would suggest that that is part of the reason they're going up is because there's not been anybody holding addicts accountable and and just as we alluded to earlier you can't really be a drug addict without committing crimes to support your habit it just right. it just there's just no denial of that so most drug that's addicts part of the don't problem. have a daily job they go to to fund their habit You're correct right. eventually they can't do it anymore but. The, the point is, is that stress isn't even on our jail system right now, and we are still chronically overcrowded. We still have long, hours-long wait times for our officers to book people into jail, and they're getting put right back out onto the street. This initiative will fund things that have been underfunded for decades in Spokane County. I believe with the right amount of jail beds, which we are proposing, it's going to increase the number of jail beds by about 450 to 500 from where we are today. It's going to make it a much better, safer facility for everybody involved, for the people who are who are currently residing there, for the people who are working there. It's going to be a much better facility. I believe it is going to make a huge difference in the way the city of Spokane and our outlying communities look. Because we're going to be able to get people off the streets who are addicted, off the streets who are committing crime, who are suffering from mental health disorders. We're going to be able to get them into a state-of-the-art facility, get them connected to services. We're going to be able to afford to pay for some of those services and administer them in a way that we can't do right now because of the jail and the way it's set up. And we're going to be able to release them back into the community stable instead of right now. We're not even taking them in most of the time. And now when we do, they're released. They're not being connected to services or treatment or anything yeah. like that. Well, and it will make a huge difference in the way well, our community looks. We're out of time for today's show. I want to invite you to be a part of tomorrow's show for the first portion because it sounded like you weren't quite done here. So uh, we'll, we'll carry this conversation over to tomorrow. So folks, that being said, we'll be with you then. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Right Spokane Perspective. We are sponsored by Right Spokane Perspective LLC and made possible by advertisers you hear and contributions from listeners like you.